0: Our story begins in 2014 after the largest financial crisis the world had ever experienced since the crash of 1929. Since then, we've made it our mission to democratize the very best financial intelligence. We broke the story of Bitcoin in 2014 before the general public even knew what it was. We've made award-winning documentaries and series about some of the most important economic and geopolitical events of our time that have amassed millions of views across platforms. And we've spoken with investing legends about trends years before they played out. Here at Real Vision, we don't follow the news. We make the news. This week on social media, we'll be showcasing some of the most important pieces in our history, unlocking some of them for you to watch for free and sharing important takeaways from them that will be useful for you in today's markets. So be sure to tune in. We also have a very special offer just for you guys. To learn more, simply click on the link in the description or scan the QR code. Is this a trampoline landing for the U.S.? Hi, everyone. Welcome to this extended Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Vincent Delouard, Director of Global Macro Strategy at Stonex. Hi, Vincent. It's great to see you again.
1: Happy to be here and very happy that you use my trampoline landing moniker. I'm I'm trying to get that to trend on Twitter. (laughs) And, you know, every bit helps. Thank you.
0: We're going to do our part. That's exactly why we chose it. And we're going to explain that for folks in just a minute. But just a reminder before we dive in, the second half of the show, today's extended, so we're gonna go for an hour. We have so much to talk about, but the second half is exclusively for Real Vision members. So if you wanna stay with us the whole time and you're watching on YouTube or listening in, uh, go ahead and scan the QR code and jump on some of the incredible trials that we have right now so that you can do that. We want you to stay for the whole thing. So Vincent, the concept of a trampoline economic landing is something that you came up with, and you've been writing about it. What do you mean by that, and why does do you think that best describes what's happening in the U.S. economy right now?
1: In terms of meaning, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, right? I mean, you you jump on the trampoline, and instead of continuing your downward momentum, you bounce back, uh, and yeah, that's that's how it, the best way I could describe the economy. I mean. You know, a year ago, you had all the, the serious economists and the banks, you know, kind of out-recessioning each other out. And, oh, the recession is going to hit, and the commercial real estate, and the, the regional banking crisis, and kind of all these uh, doomsday calls. Uh, and then, you know, we so said, well, maybe it's not going to be a hard lending. You know, maybe it's going to be a, a soft lending. And then a, a no-lending. And today we have, you know, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Fed GDP now cast at four percent. If I'm not mistaken, that's that's more than last quarter. So it it is a trampoline landing. Uh, the recession that you know all these supposedly informed people expected turned out to be an economic reacceleration. And I would argue that it was entirely predictable if you paid attention to the right data in the right way.
0: Yeah, and and certainly over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about some of the fiscal the fiscal stimulus and the fiscal side that most people just seem to either have forgotten about or they weren't sure how effective it was or it seemed to have sort of fallen off the radar, but it's been making its way through the system. And I think you also think this has a lot to do with the momentum, correct?
1: Yes. Um, many kind of have to go back to... Keynes and Econ 101 and and the power of of fiscal spending, uh, I think we've been a bit um uh, insulated from that. Maybe for 40 years, we, we spent our time focusing on, on central banks and thinking that central bankers were gods, and thinking that you know um, all you had to do was was watch the Fed funds rate and that would tell you all oh, the yield curve. <laughs> That's another good one mm-hmm. uh, to know what the economy was going to do in six to 12 months. And it turns out that you know when you give people money especially people who don't have a lot of money, they spend that money. And as that money gets spent, it creates economic growth. Uh, that should not have surprised anyone before the you know this kind of odd era that we were into. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you want me to go into the sources. Well, you of- know,
0: I think what's interesting is, um, and I highly recommend reading Vincent's research because it's always spot on in terms of detail, but also kind of thinking outside the box. The things that you listed, and maybe just rattle through them, um, is is, when when you say that, like when we say fiscal and you talk about when you give people money they'll spend, I think a lot of people were thinking about those sort of COVID payouts, the kind of Mm. one-off, stimulative, emergency measures. And since we're moving away from COVID, maybe that's why people kind of forgot about it. You pointed to things that are different Yes. And we're part, I think, and it's interesting. And I want to hear about the staying power from that. So, what are some of the things, fiscal things that you're looking at? And in, inflation reduction, that, that's part of it that people have also now been saying, hang on a second, we're spending money on infrastructure in a way that we haven't in decades. What, what are the things that you're looking at?
1: Yeah, definitely the IRA and the CHIPS Acts are, are part of it. But I, I think most economists had that.
0: Right. In, I, uh, I agree. On,
1: on, their, on their bingo cards. Um, you're absolutely right about the um, the COVID stimulus, kind of you know a, a lot of the uh, the CARES Act stuff. Uh, the ERC uh, was kind of dropping off the cliff, uh, but uh, you had a second wave that I think people did not quite understand coming from the inflation shock of 2022. You have a tremendous amount of of payments in the US that are indexed on inflation. Most important of them is social security. I mean, you have 67 million people between, so, um, retirement, disability, and survivorship. Um, and we had the largest cost of living adjustment in 40 years. Uh, that was an, uh, announced, by the way, October 13th, the day the market made the low. Uh, and, and we announced this, I think, 8.7% cost of living increase. I mean, that's a lot. You know, like social security goes out about $1.2 trillion every year. So you're going to almost put 10% of that. That's, that's a hundred billion in people's pocket. And that is these, these checks they hit every month.
0: Right. And it's they, not like a one-off payment no. bonus. That's what I think is really important about. Yeah. And, and they,
1: they go to, they go to people who will spend that money. Right. Because your average, re, you know, your average social security beneficiary, you know, is kind of working class milk. I mean, doesn't need to save, doesn't need to buy a house. Um, last year he has been squeezed a bit by inflation. So, Hey, that extra, you know, hundred bucks he gets every month, that goes straight into the economy. The exact opposite of what you see, you know, for, for 10 years, you try to stimulate the economy by giving more money to Jeff Bezos uh, with the, the wealth effect. Um, that doesn't work very well. But when you give money to people, that works. So COLA is one of them. And then the second, which I think is a of lot of living
0: adjustment, people, that's the acronym that you yes. don't hear, cost of yes. living adjustment is co- referred to as COLA.
1: Yes. Yes. And the second that a lot of people missed was the adjustment to the income tax brackets. Um, and this is very much the same idea. So uh that, that's to avoid something that's called bracket creep. So when you have high inflation, basically the value of everything goes up, like price, wages. So if you wouldn't move the tax bracket, you would fall out, you'd pay more in taxes, right? Because hundred fifty thousand is now 20,0. 000, so you're in the highest bracket. Um, so what the uh, what the IRS does is that uh, every year, also in October, same time, based on the observed inflation, it's like, okay, I'm gonna raise my brackets for next year. So October 18, the IRS came out and said, "Okay, we're going to raise it by about 7.1 percent," and that applied in January 2023. So pretty much everybody who's not in the highest bracket, because the highest bracket doesn't have a top, uh, effectively got a 7% take, uh, sorry, tax 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 rebate. This is money that you know we American taxpayers used to send to the Treasury every 50, every every
2: mm-hmm.
1: two week pay period. And we don't have to do that. So you have all your 67 million retirees plus all the Americans who are working who are enjoying almost double-digit growth in their nominal income. At the same time, inflation is falling, right? I mean, I I think it's going to come back and maybe we'll get to that later, but effectively it went from 9% to 3% inflation. But the adjustment for this year was based off last year's inflation. So there was kind of lag effect between when the inflation hit and when the compensation for the inflation hit. And I think this is where a lot of the stimulus came. Uh, and then after that, you're absolutely right to mention the, the IRA, the CHIPS Act. The thing about this big, you know, I can't remember the, the number was something absurd, like $370 billion for the IRA, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like, yeah, like throwing a couple extra hundred, you know, j- j- just for show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you can't spend $370 billion in, in, like, that's physically not possible, right? So you have to spread it over time, given the way public policy works, there's, you know, long and variable lags for fiscal policy as well. well. Uh, so a lot of that spending starts to hit, you know, it's voted in 2022, 2022, but it starts to hit in 2023. Uh, the chip stack, you can certainly see it. I mean, all the fabs being be- built all across the country, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in Texas, in Ohio. Uh, and these are a huge projects, like $20, $30 billion projects. Um, so you have all these sources of stimulus sitting at the same time. Um, and again, this is direct spending. This is not, you know, like QE, where you know you replace, you know, long-term bonds with short-term bonds or short-term bond with bond reserves, where you're actually just swapping two. Yeah,
0: financial engineering yes. at the margin. Yeah. No,
1: this is good old, you know, dig a hole and you know pay people to dig it, and at night refill them. I mean, this is this is Keynesian stuff. And yeah, and yeah, when when you do this in an economy that's already running at at potential. Uh, where people um, um still want to spend them, um, yeah, you get some impulse out of this,
0: hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing yeah, I think that's really important because we've everyone's sort of saying like how did we how did everybody seem to miss this because the the calls for recession have been so persistent, so mm-hmm. steady, and it was really characterized as okay well we just don't know the lag from the fed policy when those rate hikes will hit it's just delayed there have been offsets but but now you're hearing more and more and, and that helps me understand maybe why people miss this and why they seem so surprised that there that we haven't seen you know more of a slowdown or more of a recession and um just a couple comments uh, from the audience who's listening and John po- Jonathan pointing out construction stocks are close to all-time highs uh Jordan saying it's pretty crazy all those years of QE just push assets higher but really we should have just been fixing bridges and potholes i mean there is that argument you need to choir is- right there yeah.
1: i'm i'm a fix the bridges and let the billionaires you know alone yeah <laughs> um yeah, yeah. I, it should have been obvious count. from the start it, that, you know, the wealth effect benefits the wealthy, not uh, and that you get more bang for your buck fixing bridges than, you know, buying bonds. But
0: Absolutely. apparently
1: uh, a lot of economists thought otherwise.
0: Yeah. So and now the staying power of this, because this is the important point, I think here when we're talking about that now. the right. It, the IRA and some of that in, that chips spending, mm-hmm. that massive number you said, it will take years and years to deploy. Right. And there's always the chance, I think we all know how Washington works, that another party or something else comes in power. Uh, deficits, maybe people rethink that and maybe you take some of that away or maybe you somehow figure out a way to claw some of that back. But when you're talking about this other stuff, d- that has staying power, talking about cost of living adjustment, index inflation, hard to find, figure out how they're going to, Take away money from seniors in Social Security, so that's probably pretty sticky, right?
2: Well,
1: yes and no. I mean, because really, what matters is the impulse, right? It's a delta, right? So, of course, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be sticky, right? I mean, you, retirees are the largest consistency, you know, they, they will get their COLAs, but what matters is the size of, of this year's COLA versus last year's COLA. And keep in mind that it tracks inflation with a one-year lag. So, okay, so it'll move year, with
0: inflation, but right correct, now it's in the now, economy.
1: I think right now the estimate for next year's COLA is around 3%. Uh, that's oh. what the, the, the League uh, League for American Seniors estimated came up last, last week with that number. So if we are what I expect, which is a rebound of inflation, and I think we see that in data tomorrow already, uh, and then we kind of go to where I think inflation really should be, which is 4 5%. I think that's where it's always been. You'll actually see retirees get a net real income loss next year as opposed to the kind of like 5% real gain that they have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, same thing for the bracket story that I was uh, mentioning about. Uh, same story, right? That The brackets in 2020 for, for your, your tax liability for 2023 will be um, based on inflation in 2023, uh, which is going to be much lower. So it could be that if inflation reaccelerates, we'll have the, the bad kind of bracket creep, where you go yeah. in a higher bracket because because inflation is higher than uh, um, than what the, the IRS had anticipated. So in a weird way, and i you know I, I've spent I don't know hours on on Twitter and podcasts arguing with all these recessionists this year, saying no, this is not going to happen. You guys are wrong. Um, and I've always been kind of the you know, lone bull on the economy, I suspect that I'm going to be more bearish on the economy than, than the consensus starting in, in January, February. Now, we'll get into 2024 with a lot of momentum, I think, but that momentum is going to slow. It's going to hit the brakes, and it could be that, you know, just at the time when the quote-unquote smart guys finally get it, the economy actually slows because they, I mean, I'm I'm not questioning the fact that, you know, the, raising the Fed funds rate from zero to five point five percent in in 15 months. I mean, yeah, at some point that's gonna take a bite. Mm-hmm. Uh now I will say and maybe you can go to into it later, but th- there has been a weird stimulative effect at the beginning of this higher rates uh f- for the, the, the Fed's balance sheet effectively. Um but again the delta the delta was enormous this year because we went from zero the Fed the Fed paid nothing on its liabilities until the first hike in March of twenty twenty two to now they pay 5.3%. They have like $5 trillion in bank reserves and, and a reverse repo facility. So $5 trillion times 5%, that's $250 billion. And the Fed is just writing, writing checks to people. I mean, this is, you know, this would be, uh, I mean, this is the, the GDP of, uh, of a medium-sized country yeah. that the Fed is just literally at the end of the month just crediting every bank balance with, with that money. So that was huge stimulated this year because we went from zero. Next year, if we have the rate cuts that the market seems to price in, that impulse is going to be negative
0: as well. Yeah. Okay. I want to put a pin in that because I want to come right back to that, but just very near term, both Colin and Christopher are asking, um, what do you expect for tomorrow's CPI? Um, Do do you think it's going to be in line? Do you think it's going to be weaker or hotter Mm -hmm. than consensus? This is very short term right now, right? So there's
1: I mean, uh, m- making this kind of short-term forecast is the best way to look like a fool, and I will right. volunteer, and please uh, <laughs> please uh, keep in mind that I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking the hit, the hit here, so I'm going to say it's going to be hotter. I think consensus is for 0.2% month over month, and then three-ish year over year. Uh, I have a model that just looked at base effect and energy, and it's it's probably going to be closer to 0.3, 0.4 month of a month, and then a, uh, a reacceleration like 3.3, 3.4 year over year. um mm. uh, I'd have to run the exact numbers, but basically the, the intuition is is pretty simple, right? I mean, we, base effect of peak, right? So June 2022 was the peak, and then actually on a sequential basis, July 2022 was lower. Like this was the actual month of a month drop. So we went from very negative base effect to very positive um as far as inflation goes um uh, two uh commodity prices i mean with we'll this you know gasoline prices are very high i mean i live in california mm-hmm. about five everywhere uh and that's a big short-term driver of inflation um and then third is the uh the weakness of the dollar that you know probably will, will lead to some important inflation so all in i think we see a little bit of an upside surprise i'm not sure that the market will entirely freak out because Everything that I've kind of explained, I think um, eventually um, even the, the, the Wall Street economists will be able to understand that, mm. uh, and and then you know, oh, it's basically you know, But so I think we surprise to the upside. I don't think unless it's a huge upside. Yeah, it's not.
0: It's not crazy though. Like a surprise right. the upside, but within reason right. of what people are thinking about.
1: Yeah, I, I think for now, like we we still kind of have this this narrative of the you know the the soft landing and. That that's kind of dominant, and you know, I think we we can withstand maybe one one more month. But my view is that after that, it keeps going, and then that's that's kind of when we have the problem in maybe in the fall.
0: So this was my next question. So what is your outlook if we move just past the immediacy of the this week's numbers? What is your outlook for inflation? So we've got all this momentum in the economy, and and I'm holding the thought that you're going to get bearish next year. We'll get into that. But we've got all this momentum in the economy. What happens? What does that mean for inflation? It sounds like it would stand to reason that inflation is going to be problematic and we're going to res- see a resurgence because we've got all the strength in the economy. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's in, in a way, m- my view about inflation is that we've reset at four or five percent, um, and we've been there. If you look at like the, the super core, the sticky, the three mean stuff, it has been there for about a year, like the spike to 9% was not very real. Right. It was the, the old shock, the Russia invasion, the used car, the plane tickets. And then that took us down as well, right? But in in reality, maybe it was 6% last summer. Now it's around 4.5. And then that is my view that, you know, we will reset there. That is actually a good thing for for the inflation target. So I think that's where we want to go. In terms of of, uh, factors that I would stress, so other than the the short-term stuff we talked about, the the base effect and and the energy prices, uh, one area that I think people don't look at enough is healthcare. Um so according to the BLS uh, the price of healthcare in the US has declined for 9 straight months and it's now cheaper to get cured in the US than it was last year so we have a deflation in healthcare i
0: sure as hell uh, doesn't feel like that
1: <laughs> I know when, when I when I my premium went up by 15% this year I had my insurance so so, and I actually checked, maybe I'm just unlucky, but no, I went to the, the, the ACA website, all the guys, the Obamacare that offer plans, they up by a median 11% this year. And, and it makes sense, right? I mean, the, the cost of everything has gone up, mm-hmm. tremendously. Like how could healthcare, which is mostly labor, yeah. uh, some, like, how could that go down? I mean, we have these shortages of, of nurses, of, of doctors, uh, obviously the, you know, the big pharmaceuticals always know how to make money. I mean, healthcare and inflation is usually higher. Like how could that be a bit slower? And it's the same kind of mechanic as in shelter. You know, like all the deflationists right now, they love to point to shelter and owner's equivalent rent, and it resets every year. So it's lagging and blah, 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 blah. OK, fine. I, I mean, I can do that too. But look, look, look at how the BLS looks at, looks at, looks at healthcare inflation. You'll see the exact same dynamic annual resetting of prices because a lot of that negotiated rate. And then instead of measuring the actual cost, it's imputed from the profits of uh, insurance companies, which have been completely skewed over by by COVID because for a year no one went to the doctor because we were always scared to have COVID. So we have this massive distortion that have created this artificial deflation in the healthcare CPI, and that's 10% of the index. So if you have 10% of the index in deflation, if we go back to, let's say, 5%, that's 50 basis points added to the CPI. If we get that, there is no way we can get to two percent on a sustained basis.
0: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So I want to I want to bring up a a, a clip here. Uh, because this is along the lines of what we've been talking about all week. Tony Greer sat down with Kevin Muir this week um, and had a great conversation about all of these topics. And Kevin expressed concern that the market psychology is too anchored in the past. Let's have a listen to a clip from that, and then we'll talk on the other side.
2: I just want to contrast this and, and think about it in terms of 1982, when Volcker came and he broke the back of inflation, nobody wanted to own bonds. And the reason they didn't want to own bonds was because they were convinced inflation was coming back. And because they were convinced inflation was coming back, they kept the real rate, meaning the rate of bonds over inflation, extremely high for a long, long time. So you could earn positive real rates by buying the bond market because everyone thought it was coming back. Okay, it took many, many years for that, that kind of persistent real rate to decline. I think we have just the opposite right now, Tony. I think that we people continually underestimate how persistent inflation will be. And I think that that's why we're seeing people rush into the bond market back to the sentiment talking that we spoke about. They keep rushing back in there and they keep remembering the old era, the old era when rates went to 1% or 0% and how much money they made that way. So we are going to have persistent kind of over-optimism about bonds. And if you want, you can't just be short bonds. It doesn't quite work that well. You Really, what you want to be is long inflation.
0: And that full conversation is available on our website. If you are not a member, you know what to do. Scan the QR code, or Brian has put a bunch of info in the chat for you. So, Vincent, are investors too quick to assume that we're going to revert back to a low inflation environment?
1: Yeah, first off, great, great clip with, with Kevin. I mean, you know, fantastic guy. Um, I mean, he's been in that higher for longer. His economy stronger than you think. Camp uh, at a time when it was not cool. So I um, kindred
0: soul. Yes, uh, <laughs> you've been, no, been no, something together. He's, he's
1: also the nicest, the nicest person. Um, so I, it's, it's, I'm very happy. And then of course, I'm going to agree with, with what he says. I. I mean, he 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 gets it right. I mean, we, you know, we we drive looking in the rearview mirror, right? In the early '80s, people were traumatized by inflation, and they kept interest rates, too real rates, too high for too long. And we were doing the exact opposite.
0: I mean, yeah, and it's you, interesting that's... to bring it up. I think because it, this that part's about not just the data, but the psychology, how <laughs> hard it is to turn psychology, turn that recency bias when that's all you've known. And in fact, Andreas was very honest about that when I asked him to, my colleague, we were talking about this in a recent, um, I, think, I don't know if it was an academy sessions or, and I said, what's the risk? To your forecast, or what do you worry about? And he was like, "Listen, I've only lived, you know, based on his age, I've only lived in an environment where we've had these lo- this low inflation, low interest rate. Could I be experiencing recency bias myself? Sure, you know. So I think everyone has to check that. It's an interesting angle to think about.
1: Yeah, um, and and again, I mean, I was just thinking as as Kev was talking about these 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 cycles of inflation, so. You mentioned 82, right? So it's, 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 uh, it's 42, 42 years since 82, right? Then you add on, you, you, you subtract another 42, that gets you to 1940. Mm-hmm. That was the bottom for yields, the prior one. It's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, these very long cycles when it comes to rates and inflation, you know, that back then, you know, we're just coming out of the Great Depression. It was obvious that inflation is going to pick up. We had a world war, for God's sake. Like the entire world was throwing bombs at each other. And yet, bond yields were ridiculously low. And then after that, after World War II, they start going up, 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 up for 42 years and then down for another 42. I mean, it's you know, it's funny how sometimes the story rhymes. Like I think we are at the dawn of, of one of these very long-term cycles. and And at each one of these turning points, most investors get it wrong because as Andreas mentioned, all that they've known is the old world. It is—it was inconceivable for someone in '82 that you know, uh, in inflation would would fall to two percent on its own. That would have negative yielding debt. I think in the same way now it is inconceivable uh, for a lot of the bond market that you know, inflation will not go back to two percent, but instead will hopefully stabilize at five percent.
0: I'm going to ask you about that hopefully a little bit later. But so, what does this mean if inflation is remain is going to remain elevated and we're in this reset now to something closer to four percent? What is your outlook for Treasuries?
1: Well, I mean, I've obviously been a, a big bear on Treasuries for for a long time. Um, I I feel a bit better about them now uh, that that we repriced quite a bit. Huh? Um, I mean. I was vivid, livid in, in March when we had the Silicon Valley bank crisis and the, you know, the futures market was pricing cuts yesterday. Like, like, <laughs> and, and, and I think the Fed missed the mark there. I mean, it, it just stopped. That it was a, a second policy mistake. There was a transitory, well, third, third policy mistake. There was keeping the accommodation for too long, calling inflation transitory, and then getting freaked out by what turned out to be a non-event. Anyway, uh, so in March, it was awful. Now, you know, I look at the you know the two year getting close to five percent, uh, the front end of the curve. I, I still think the Fed is gonna is gonna do one more hike and then it's gonna keep the 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 fear of another hike live. They need that for liquidity reasons, reason. They need to basically empty the RRP into, uh, into the into TGS. So I think that's why they need some slope up front. But I mean, we're talking like 10 basis point gap on the front end. Uh, the the bond market is the, at least the short term market is not delusional the way it was three months ago on the long end i still think it is delusional i think we can go to five percent very easily i actually think we will get there and we'll get there in a couple of days i don't know when that's going to hit uh, but when it hits it's going to be like the guild market you'll see you know 30 basis point up three days in a row uh, because of some sort of a liquidity event um uh, so the long end, i'm bearish and i'm especially i'm what, what i'm especially more more than rates actually three really inflation break events that seem off to me uh, it's, I think that maybe the best way to play that is, is, is with, uh, with inflation swaps because I think that's where the market is most delusional. Like the, the real rates have come up quite a bit, uh, but it's, it's the inflation expectation that's, that seems too low to me.
0: Uh, that's really interesting and a little bit terrifying to think about that happening. Uh, and you think it would, it would be some like an event that would freak them, that, that would spook the market?
2: Yeah, like I, I
1: may... I think, keep thinking about what, what happened to the least stress, you know, the, uh, the latest prime minister in the UK, uh, you know, she, she, the, the market is very tense. Um, she announces this, this big blowout budget and, mm. and, you know, all the pension funds. I mean, I, am I'm, I'm sure, you know, British pension funds are not the only one with, you know, improper duration hedging and lots of hidden leverage in the system. Uh, you know, it, there's never one cockroach. Yeah. Um, and this, this is true. And somebody
0: who lives in New York City can attest to this is true. Uh, and we, we have yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, we have very bad liquidity at the long end. And we have we have had for, for a long time. If you look at the uh, I think there's a Bloomberg liquidity index at the, the long end, it's very bad. The, the volatility at the long end is, is, is pretty bad too, which is an indication of, of lack of market depth. Uh, and I think we, we've been avoiding that to some extent by, by freezing it, right? We we put all, all the treasury insurance was at, at the, the front end you know, basically that Yellen has been running the debt on, on bills, which you could argue from a taxpayer standpoint, is awful, right? Because the curve is varies, so you should be tapping that long end. The reason she's not tapping it, she prefers to pay one, one percentage more is because she knows that if you tapped it, there wouldn't be a buyer. Um, so yeah, the, 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 liquidity is bad. Uh, the issuance is they're gonna have to move the long end. I mean, the treasury just announced actually that, that they would start, you know, hitting that 10, 20, 30 year again. Um, and I doubt that we'll see a lot of buyer at, at this duration. Also, another problem that's been freezed is the regional banks, right? So for a couple of years, we stuffed treasuries down the throats of our regional banks and, and banks in general, you know, buy them, they're risk-free, you can, well, 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 Then of course, SVB blows up, but then we freezed it with the BTFP, like uh, the, um, the Bank term Funding uh, Protection Facility. Uh, where we basically told the banks, Hey, don't sell your long-term treasuries, put them at the Fed, you get cash par value for a year, but there's still that overhang of of long-term treasuries that the banks have. So I see a lot of possible sellers and there's no, I don't see an obvious buyer for, for long-term treasury debt at a time when, when insurance is going to spike.
0: Okay. That's a super important point and concept. I just want to ask you though, um, before I let our YouTube audience go, um, I think it was Jonathan. Oh no, Alex. Sorry, Alex Morgan said uh, there will be no rate pivot until something breaks. Uh, so there is this concept that if you have an event like a guilt type event here, where you start seeing Treasury rates. Uh, that 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 will be something breaking and that the response won't just be that you get this spike in yields but the response will be like oh the fed's coming in yields are going to fall because now we're back to cutting and you know the fed to the rescue the fed pivot do you not see that playing out that way
1: a little bit but i see it with the balance sheet not not the rates because i mean if we see like the you know long term yields go to 5% Cutting the Fed funds rate by 25 dips, is not going to do anything, right? Mm. You're going to have to start using the balance sheet, which is by the way what the Bank of England did. So I think the first, the first route to drop will be quantitative tightening, so stopping um, because this is where the equity problem comes from eventually. That, you know, the fact that we have not only $150 billion in, in, in deficits every month, but we have $100 billion in, in treasuries maturing that the Fed can, let's roll over the balance sheet. So I think that's where it comes in. You, you stop that, and then maybe you do uh, some sort of a twist or reverse twist. I don't, I, I don't even remember. We had so many operations at this point of like,
0: <laughs> and they're all very you know. creative, exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> the
1: yield curve is like a knot of like, you know, yeah. You so, work. so they
0: would do, they would, they would use tools, whether existing ones or new ones, they come up with on that side, yeah. as opposed to just but cutting I, I, that rate. So you're not going to see it play out the way that we were used to back in the day. I think that's super interesting. All right, we're going to jump over for members. Like I said, if you want to come with us, and you should, because we've got a lot more good stuff to cover, um, just hit one of the links that Brian put in the chat.
1: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and
2: get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.